0: And I pray that... Well, thank you so much. I'm now at the age where I need to put my glasses on. Back home, back home, these are known as the wisdom glasses. (laughs) So when they go on, the wisdom begins to flow. (laughs) Um, Yeah, what a joy to be here. And I, I will introduce ourselves a little bit but you know just in the worship there I felt a little word which is okay if I share this Kevin yeah and um, beautiful moment in in worship and I don't know how many people know the song um, that Keith Green wrote called beautiful yeah and um, you know Keith Green who yeah and um, I forget how the song goes anyone remember how the song goes because I've just got that one in my head now you know so if I started to sing it would just morph into that one But he wrote a song very similar. I mean, basically, it's called You Are Beautiful. And uh, he tells the story of how he wrote this song. And as he he wrote this song, he was praying and he was um, just seeking the Lord in in real deep moment. And he he said, oh, Lord, it's not like I've been doing anything wrong, particularly. But sometimes just from being a Christian for uh, quite a time, just little calluses and hardness and things form around my heart. So would you give me again baby skin around my heart? And, and I just felt a little word for you guys, um, and please receive this as, as it is. I just felt like the Lord was saying, as you move into a new building, a, a new season, um, maybe just ask the Lord, Lord, will you give me baby skin around my heart again? anything that feels familiar, Lord, let me lay at your feet. You know, the the way we pray, the way we worship, what, whatever it is, but give me again baby skin around my heart. And uh, maybe that's a little word for you guys and a uh, very memorable thing that Keith Green did there. But Anyway, um, what a joy to be here, you know, um, I've got my wife Carol here, and Kevin kindly introduced us, so it's good to have my wife Carol with me. It, it actually, for us, is a real joy, because we didn't know if we were going to be able to come, because right at the last minute, um, we were told something um, about my health, which meant that maybe we weren't going to be able to come, but through talking to the doctors, he said, no, you Nothing's going to happen for six weeks, so why don't you go? And uh, we're really glad that he said that because we weren't going to miss this, eh? We weren't going to miss 3,800 people um, worshipping and just everything that God is doing in the nations. So we bring greetings from Living Hope in the Isle of Man. So uh, um, Carol and I have led Douglas AM, which is one of the congregations for maybe, she says six years Five years, I don't know, something like five, six years, and we've just handed that over, so we're coming into a new season now, and we're really looking forward to what God is going to do, but we're not 100% sure what it does look like, other than that we're going to try and travel a little bit more and, and meet with some of the churches, and, and it's been great already, we've started in the UK and Switzerland and those places, so it, it's great to be here, and I want to say hello just a moment to a few friends of mine, i got Cephas here from Lucerca. Um, we visited his church, that was a quite a while ago, and we had such an amazing time in, in Lusaka, and I still remember it, a, a joyful time. It's good to have Gustav here, and Yanel. hi guys, great friend of ours. They're going to be plugged into Cape Town for a little while, and I'm going to ask you, please look after them, eh? I, I trust you, I trust you, Josh Jen. <laughs> um, but thanks for inviting us, and... We're going to talk a little bit today, I've called the message Water Lilies, and that will become clear. I'm going to dive straight in if that's all right, just for, for time. But you know, you guys maybe feel like you're nomads, because you've been moving about a little bit, and even this Sunday, you've had to jump into Ed- Edgemead. Well, look, we have no sympathy, because we've been looking for a building for over 10 years. So when we see those photos, I've got to fight that holy jealousy in me, you know, <laughs> Lord, let me have a coffee shop that looks like a block of concrete, because we'll take it, eh? (laughs) And as for a bray area, we'll we'll have one of those as well. And for the two days of the year, we're able to use it, and on the Isle of Man, we're going to use it. But I pray that building is going to be a massive blessing for you. But why don't you turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to read the first four verses Am I okay, volume-wise? I'm not blasting you out. Okay, good. Um, So we're going to read the first four verses of Acts chapter 8. It says this, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Well, that day was the day that Stephen was martyred. You you might remember that Stephen was stoned to death for preaching a powerful message, and uh, the Jews and the authorities in Jerusalem were so enraged, that they stoned him to death. And it says on that very day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they Went. So we can start if you just turn to the person next to you and say, You're a water lily. Yeah, yeah. You'll find out why in a moment. But this moment in the book of Acts marks a significant change in how the gospel is going to be spread uh, across Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria because. Up until this point, Luke, in writing the book of Acts, he's mainly used the word witness. And he uses the word witness because it's the apostles um, who had been witness to what Jesus had said, done, and taught. And they were the ones that were leading the charge. John and Peter and James, you remember that they were leading the charge. Up until this point in the book of Acts, it's been mainly about their witnessing. But from here on, Luke starts to use a different word, uh, a Greek word, kariso. And, and basically it means to herald. And he uses it five times in this, in this chapter um, alone. And what we've seen up to this point is a very courageous group of men who had been close to Jesus. And they actually stayed in Jerusalem. So if you think about what happened here, a massive persecution had broken out where people were getting chased down. And what did the apostles do? They said, no, we're not going to run away. We will stay in Jerusalem. So that's pretty courageous from them. And we know that um, James lost his life because of that. But for everyone else, it says that they were scattered and so what we see now is the message of the gospel is now in the hands of a largely anonymous group of ordinary Christians who suddenly found themselves in this church abandoning everything and running for their lives, leaving homes leaving jobs, leaving security, and traveling all around the region to get away from this persecution. You see, the picture here is suddenly the the spread of the gospel has been put into the hands of ordinary saints. These guys weren't preachers, particularly, or most of them, we don't know their names. But they become the heralds of the good news of Jesus. And this is something that spreads really rapidly. In Acts 11, verse 19, we read, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And this word scattered, you know, there's two meanings for the word scattered. One is like when you scatter ashes and they're gone, they disappear, right? And the other is like scattering seed. Planting seed. And the word here is that meaning. It means they were scattered like seed across the nations. And that's a beautiful picture. And I want to tell you about the Amazonian water lily. My wife and I have an allotment, and I don't think you have them here, but it's basically a patch you can hire to grow vegetables. And she is an amazing gardener. And I am not an amazing gardener. I'm occasionally used for heavy lifting. And that's pretty much my contribution. But I did, I do like it. And I like plants and I I like to see them flowering. And and I came across this story of the water lilies. Now, water lilies have an incredible prolific way to spread. You've seen them, eh? Like they, they just spread across a whole lake. And how do they do it? Well, these Amazonian water lilies, the way they do it is the flower on the plant only flowers for two days a year. And what it does is it opens up with this white flower. Maybe we've got it. Yeah, this beautiful white flower. And this white flower is fragrant. It has a a really wonderful smell. And on the day that it opens up, it opens up in the daytime, it attracts this beetle, a scarab beetle, because it can smell this wonderful fragrance, and it, it comes into the flower, bringing the pollen that it's got from another flower to pollinate that water lily, right? And then it very cleverly produces this sticky syrup, which is on the feet of the beetle so that it can't leave. And then at nighttime, this white flower closes up, and it becomes a beautiful prison. For this beetle. And the beetle is rubbing its pollen and germinating the the lily ready to spread. And then something really incredible happens because the next morning the flower opens up and now it's pink. And because, and it's not only is it pink, it now doesn't smell. And the syrup has worn off. So this beetle which has spent the night in um, this prison, is now covered in the pollen of the flower it's been imprisoned in. And as it leaves, the it's actually turned from a female to a male, which is pretty clever. It now is brushing against the stamen that's putting its pollen on to go and take it to another flower. And it's no longer attracted, and the pink flower is left, and it goes on to the next white flower. You, you hear me, Right? Uh, amazing. Now, these water lilies can cover a vast lake, and in the Natural History Museum in London, which if ever you're in London, you can go to for free. It's an amazing place. There apparently was a puzzle, and this mathematical puzzle for children said, if you have a, a lake that is five and a half square miles wide, you know, five square mile lake, then it takes four and a half months for water lilies to spread and cover half the lake. Because basically in those one day or two days, they're replicating. You see they're they're replicating one a day. Each plant replicates once each day. So if it's covered half the lake in four and a half months, how long is it going to take to cover the rest of the lake? One day. I mean, I think it's exaggerated, but the principle is right. Um, because each flower replicates itself, and therefore the whole lake is covered. And maybe we, I think we've got a picture, yeah, look at that. The whole lake. Now, why do I tell you that? Well, this is what Spurgeon said about the church. He said, in every church where there is really the power of the Spirit of God the Lord will cause it to spread abroad more or less. He never means that a church should be like a nut shut up in a shell, nor like ointment in a closed box. The precious perfume of the gospel must be poured forth to sweeten the air. And you see, what we're seeing in the book of Acts here is an army of reproducing water lilies. in Individuals, In the church, the the body of Christ, each one replicating, each one taking their story, their good news into all these places. And, And this army is exactly what Jesus prophesied. You remember in Acts 1 and verse 8, Jesus said this, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And isn't it typical of God that he has a better idea than us? These beetles or saints are covered in the pollen of the good news of Jesus Christ. And they're scattered to go and reproduce. And we see some examples like Philip is scattered, isn't he? He goes to Ethiopia and Samaria and Ananias, the, the anonymous Ananias. He is sent to Saul, the persecutor of the church. And can you imagine that day he gets that word from the Lord? Yeah, see this guy that's murdering everybody. I want you to go and pray for him. You what? <laughs> yeah. And ordinary Christians. And and it's a beautiful picture. And in fact, in the ancient world, Ethiopia was regarded really as the ends of the earth. It was known as the ends of the earth. So when the gospel reached Ethiopia, perhaps they thought they'd reached the ends of the earth, but we know different because we're in Cape Town. (laughs) The genuine ends of the earth. Yeah. (laughs) And the word preaching, which is used in this passage, is not the word usually rendered for preach. It's simply a means announcing, telling the good news. So what hasn't been scattered here is a bunch of platform preachers like I'm doing this morning, but just ordinary people going about their lives telling the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's the most amazing, clever idea that you will ever see in terms of spreading the good news. People who thought they were leaving their homes, but now scattered. And in fact, Acts 8.4, if you read the common English version, it says the Lord's followers who had been scattered went from place to place telling the good news. And in the Barnes commentary, it says it means simply announcing the good news of salvation. And the meaning is that they communicated to their fellow men in conversation wherever they met them. Brilliant, isn't it? It's genius. It's water lilies. And we're seeing this great persecution has led to a great dispersion, which has led to widespread evangelism and proclaiming of the gospel. And isn't it interesting that, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in my life I've noticed this, that God is a great scatterer. He, he has a habit of un, not leaving you comfortable, but scattering you. In our congregation back in on the Isle of Man, pretty much half, maybe forty percent, thirty five, forty percent of our congregation have come from nations like Nigeria, Uganda, um, where else? Zimbabwe, Namibia, South Africa, of course, Kenya. We have a, a big group of, of Kenyan people. And and all these people are scattered. They're dispersed, proclaimers of the gospel. And and what I've been saying to them is, you guys, don't think of yourself as an expat. Think of yourself as a dispersed proclaimer of the good news of Jesus. And whether you are dispersed near or far, none of us are dispersed to be accountants or um, sportsmen or anything like that. No, we're dispersed with the pollen of the good news on us just in our ordinary lives, going about sharing the good news. And, and I wonder if you've ever realized that your purpose is not your career. Your purpose is not even your family. Although all these things are good, don't, don't hear, hear me wrong. It's not money, it's not sport, it's none of these things. Your purpose is to be a dispersed proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? How can we do that? Well, the first thing we need to understand is our message. What is this message that we're dispersed to proclaim? Well, in Titus 2 and verses 11 to 15, we read this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's good news, isn't it? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. You see, the pollen on us is that salvation has come in Jesus Christ for all people. What is our purpose? Our purpose is awaiting for the glory of the returning of our Savior. And in the meantime, our purpose is to tell and declare these things, proclaim these things. That's the simple message. It's good news. It's good news. You are good news. You're a carrier of good news. And you don't need sticky syrup and orange pollen. No. It's in you. It's living in you. How many people are teachers here? Yeah. So if you are a teacher, you'll know what show and tell is, right? Show and tell is a technique Who's heard of show and tell? Oh, yeah, look. It's a technique used with children that they bring something into the classroom that they can show, and then they are encouraged to describe this thing that they have brought in. And it's actually lovely. You see them bring in the weirdest things, and then they describe it in the weirdest way. But show and tell. On a Monday morning, it's become habit all around the world. And in Colossians one and verse twenty seven to twenty eight, Paul writes this. He says this to them, that's the the gospel that's the, the people that are receiving the good news, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is what? Which is Christ in you. So there's the show. What what are we designed to show? We are designed in our lives to show Christ. In us. And what is Christ in us? The hope of glory. So that's show. And then what? In verse 28. He is the one we proclaim. That's the tell. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. We show Christ in us. And we proclaim him. Show and tell. That's the message of the army of water lilies. Well let me just conclude then or or move in with two things that I want to share with you today and the first is how do we show Christ in our lives how do we show Christ in our lives as the hope and glory you may who feels they're an ordinary saint yeah I do (laughs) I'm an ordinary saint We're, we're all ordinary saints but you know what God didn't set you apart to be ordinary We may think of ourselves as ordinary, but we've been set apart to something that is extraordinary. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, and you'll know this verse well, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And the word behold here, it, it literally means look out for what is about to come pay attention because something is coming and that something is the new it's the new creation you and i were not intended to be hidden but we're intended to be distinguishable from what is around us paul even says in philippians 2:14 to 16 he says then you will shine among them like stars in the sky in a warped and crooked generation How do you shine like stars? You hold firmly to the word of life. Can I tell you, friends, you're not just called to be different. You are different. You're not camouflaged. Your life is different. You know, we show Christ in our lives in many ways in terms of our character. In terms of how we face the joy in our life. How we handle suffering. How we love one another how we cope with weakness in our lives these things mark us out as different and it's a wonderful thing because it's in us you know our daughter our youngest daughter megan she's married and uh, to her husband ed and they had a their i think it was their third child uh, yeah their third child she carried this child all the way to full term and then one day we got a phone call from her to say, I need to go to the hospital. I can't feel this baby moving. And she was due any time now. And then she got to the hospital and she phoned us and um, Carol had to rush her husband up to the hospital. But I picked up the phone or I got the phone. No, you got the phone call, didn't you? Carol got the phone call and she said, this baby is not alive. And then we had the tragedy of her having to give birth, go through a full labor. And we had to have a funeral because the baby was full term. And we had this little coffin, which we gathered round. I'm trying not to cry now. (laughs) Um, And pray. And Jonathan helped us through this time. But you know what? In that moment, and there's nothing that can make that moment feel better But for Ed and Megan, this was the moment when they had to show Christ to the world around them. They had to show Christ in them, the hope of glory. Even in this moment that had so much tragedy about it, it was their time. And do you know what happened? They um, had a a funeral and a Thanksgiving service. But I want to just read you what the midwife in that moment wrote to me. And she said this, I'll try not to cry as I read it. (laughs) It has been my privilege to be able to be with them on part of this most painful journey and to meet little Estelle, Her, her name was Estelle. Megan is an absolute, is an incredible young woman, an absolute rock solid woman of God. She and Ed are so strong together. Their faith has been their anchor. I've had my eyes opened to the sustaining strength we can have when we believe and trust in God and all his promises. I am so proud of that girl. And and you know what happened? We had this Thanksgiving service where in the church, people gathered to, to worship. And at that service, Ed and Megan were at the front worshiping, hands lifted high and just giving glory to God, even in the the pain. And there was a school friend of Megan's there, a a young girl who'd been a friend of Megan's for 15 years, probably. And in that moment, this girl who we'd been reaching out to, we'd tried alpha courses, and she was uh, gone all over the world to India and South America to find herself, And, and nothing had reached her. But in that moment... And she saw how they responded to that suffering. Something changed. Something changed in her heart. And a journey began. And recently we had our one service, which is when all our congregations come together. And there at the front of the service was Epha, this young girl, worshiping. She's given her life to Jesus Christ. She's with you and in in the West, and, and she is on a journey, but you know what happened? The thing that changed her was one water lily standing strong in suffering to say, look at Christ, the glory in me. And you know, maybe it's our response to that kind of suffering, or perhaps it's our response to success even. It can be the opposite end of the extreme, couldn't it, in terms of how we handle success in our lives. But we mark ourselves out as different to the world. And the world is watching us, friends. In our lives, in our individual lives, we can make a difference. We have a lady in our congregation who, um, and you can watch her testimony video, her son was murdered. But she has done the story of forgiveness. And people have seen her story of forgiveness and come to Christ. saying, If she can forgive, I can forgive. If that's what it means to follow Jesus, I can follow Jesus. And you know what we should be doing in our lives? Our, our lives as spreaders of the good news. The, the response to pe- from people should be around us. Why would you do that? Unnecessary devotion, that's what I call it. In our lives, we should have unnecessary devotion to the world. You know, they look at us and say, why would you get up early in the morning to pray? Why would you get out of your bed at 7 a.m. to to pray? Why would you do that? That's crazy. Why would you give 10% of your income to the church? You must be mad. Why would you believe old-fashioned values of marriage? The world's moved on. You need to move on. No, we don't need to move on. Because we're called to be different, shining like stars in a wicked and perverse generation. Why would you choose to spend your Sunday lunchtime in church? (laughs) My goodness, don't you know it's like 28 degrees out there? Because you're different. You're different. You know, I read a book once. It was called The Fifth Gospel. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you are the fifth Gospel. And you know, for most of the world, you're the only Gospel they'll read. An army of water lilies reproducing, taking the pollen of the good news. And I, I, you know, I'm often reflect on the verse that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 3. He says this, You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And and you know, your life and my life, it, it's got like a neon sign above it, because it's a letter to the world. And I I wonder what is on our sign. You know, is it, my job? Is it my family? Is it my education or does it say Jesus? A letter from Christ to the world. Is my letter speaking of the love and the good news of Jesus Christ? I believe it can and I believe it should. And it's the power of the spirit in us. I need to move on. But you know, you hear what I'm saying. Are we attracting attention or are we fitting in? I once met, I had a chat with a guy in one of our congregations, and I'd heard that he was using bad language at work. And he was in the church, so I had a coffee with him, and I said, I've heard this thing. Help me understand. Why would you use bad language in the work? And he said to me, I need to fit in. I said to him, you don't need to fit in. You need to stand out. You need to do things differently, and I could tell you many stories about that. But let me begin to draw to a conclusion. We show Christ, but we also have to proclaim him. We show him in our lives, Romans 10, 14 to 15, you know that. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And again, preaching is not a platform. It's describing the good news in our ordinary lives as tradesmen, as teachers, as accountants, as... um, Dentists as mums at the school gates. This is how the good news is being declared heralds of God's grace. You realize, friends, that we are the couriers of Christ. We're carrying the words. You remember when Peter, Jesus challenged Peter in um, John chapter 6, and, and all, the deci- all the other followers were leaving him. And Jesus turned to them and, and he said to them, What about you guys? Are, are you going to leave? And Peter said, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And you know what? We now are the couriers of those words. Jesus has entrusted those words to his bride. You have the words of eternal life. Where else is the world going to go? Nothing else in the world is giving the words of eternal life. Only the bride. Only the, the bride of Christ We're the carriers of the words of eternal life. Like the psalmist in um, Psalm 40 verse 10, he says, I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. And later on in in Acts chapter 8, we find Philip. And you remember the story of Philip where he, he... draws alongside the Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot. He's taken to this desert place. I mean, if you think you're in a desert place, he's on a desert road, gone there, carried by the Spirit. And the Spirit says to him, go and listen to what that guy is doing. And he's reading from the prophecy of Isaiah. And it says this, Philip, in in verse 35 of Acts 8, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news. So Philip has gone up, he's listened to what the Ethiopian official is reading, and then he hasn't just dived in with the good news. It says he started with that very scripture that he was reading. And on the 1st of December 1990, a bunch of Frenchmen and a bunch of British men met in the middle of the channel, the English channel. At one end, they'd started tunneling from France, and the other end, they'd started tunneling from England. And on the 1st of December, 1990, they met each other underneath the ocean. And and you know that they didn't actually 100% know that they were on each, the other side. They could have broken through and suddenly the ocean ca- came pouring through. But what they had done, cleverly, is they tracked each other using lasers. So they had seen where the other one was and made sure that they were on the same path so that when they did break through, they were 95% confident that they had located each other. And that tunnel is over 20 miles long under the sea, and yet they met in the middle. And You know, that's a bit what it's like when we're trying to share the good news with Jesus. We, of Jesus. We have to listen and track what the other person is asking What's the question that they're actually asking? And why not start there? Beginning with what they're asking. Listening to them. Francis Schaeffer said this. He said, give me an hour with an unbeliever and I will listen for the first 55 minutes and then in the last five have something to say. You know, all of us have our own starting point. The the question that we're asking I'm sure someone for you listened and they began with what you were asking. Or it took a moment when the question you were asking. For me, it was my mum. There was a moment in my life where things weren't going the way I'd hoped. And my mum was listening and ready. And that day she said, well, why don't you come to church? And at that moment I was ready. I said, okay. And that night, big six foot five man, called, we called him Big Jim. He got to the front and he said... Uh, I have a word. He didn't speak like that, but it sort of feels (laughs) feels appropriate. He said, Someone here needs to know that Jesus loves them. And as he spoke that word, it was like an arrow straight into my heart. And at the end of the service I said to Mum, that man was speaking to me. That was for me. And she took me to the front and he led me to Christ. But who are you reaching out to and how are you listening to what they're asking? You'll hear the story perhaps of Peter Nimbard, who's told who was in a prison cell and it was actually his cellmate from prison to pastor is his story. It was his cellmate who introduced him to the hospital chaplain and he had loads of questions but that chaplain listened to him asking questions constantly and eventually he became the man that led him to Jesus Christ and Peter's led hundreds and hundreds to Christ since then. One water lily, a prison chaplain Listening, and I want to encourage you as I finish. How can you connect to people and just begin by listening to them in your life, in your ordinary life, where wherever it takes you? Are, are you listening to people, and you can show them the glory of Christ, the hope of glory, and how you're living your life? But maybe also you can share a word. Or an invitation, like my mum was just an invitation. And I believe if we mobilize the people of God in this way, we can cover this lake. Each one reaching one. Now, I am a terrible evangelist. I want to open up and say to you guys, I'm I'm a terrible evangelist. It's not like hundreds and hundreds of people just fall at my feet like Jonathan Conrath. Bananas. I want to give my life to Jesus. Because they carry a specific anointing. But it's, it's something that is in all of us. It's something that is in every single person. And Carol and I like to run. And we've just started connecting with running groups and social groups and just talking to people. I was at some running drinks recently and one of the guys said to me, oh, I know what you do. Why is your religion different to any other religion? I said, "Can I just finish my drink?" <laughs> but just opportunities by being somewhere, by planting ourselves somewhere. And I, and I want to finish with just a a little story of my wife. Actually, Carol was running, and she tripped and she broke her arm. And she had an X-ray, and this is her with her broken arm. Um, not looking that happy. <laughs> Probably because I'd asked her if I could take a photograph. <laughs> and the x-ray had showed it was broken in your elbow, eh, love? Yeah, just in her elbow. And now perhaps could we could show that video, Brent? Um.
1: Okay, so it was a Monday, so I'd yeah broken the arm. And, um, and they said I had to come back a week later. Um, and... On the Sunday, going into church, and we'd, it was, again, one of the ones when they were all together, and there's two two of the men on the welcome team, Brett and Jamie, and they love, actually, they love to go out on the streets and, and evangelize and so on. Anyway, they saw my arm immediately, and, and they just wanted to pray for me, and I said, yes, yes, pray for me. So they prayed for healing, and then on the Monday, I went back to um, the hospital, the fracture clinic, and they took x-rays again and they said, there's no fracture, no fracture at all. So, took the sling off. Oh, yes. So, um, Park Run, I know you all know Park Run. So, um, then I went to Park Run that week and some of the people we know were chatting to and um, they... and. The week before, I had marshaled instead. And so this time, I was running instead. And, said, and um, they said, oh, you've broken your, you, you've hurt your arm. I said, uh, yeah, it was broken. And a particular guy and his, his teenage son were with me. And I said, um, yeah, it was broken. I said, I don't know how you'll take this. But um, I was at church, and they prayed for my arm. And it's not broken anymore. There's no fracture at all. And the dad goes, yeah, right, OK. <laughs> and... But this 15-year-old boy goes, wow, that's amazing. That's fantastic. So the two reactions. So eventually I was telling all the groups, oh, yeah, I'm healed. And um, he hasn't come to church, but there you go.
0: Simple. Just going about your ordinary life, telling the story of how your broken arm got healed. It's not an everyday story, but um, Carol was just in amongst the people that we were among. And that's how we grow the church. Like in Acts 8, an army of ordinary people in everyday conversation, when we face the challenges of life, being someone who shows the glory, chooses to show the glory of Christ and the hope in us through every circumstance, joy, suffering, heartache, love, living an unnecessarily devoted life, and then just opening up conversations when they come, listening to people, tracking where they're at, and just sharing your story. And I really believe if we can grasp this, you know, maybe we'll see the lake covered. Amen.